0: Verse 11 of Hebrews, chapter 9. Let's read together all the way through to the end of that chapter. Take a breath. There is a lot here. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is still alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats With water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. Say, This blood is the blood, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear at the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, He has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Then, And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, and after that comes judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. May God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. We have this delight in this picture of Hebrews, where we have the author keeps writing about this former sacrifice. And you remember the analogy we made last week, the, the analogy was that, a master commissioned an artwork in a room that had to be done in a very specific way. And there were there was a table on one side and a lampstand on the other side. He had to have them set perfectly. He had to have the bread out the right way. He had to have the lights up. He had an altar that he had to offer incense on that would fragrant, make the room fragrant. And then he had this curtain that he had to put up with some things behind the curtain, and he didn't understand everything, but he had this same ritual he had to do every day, and he had to walk up to the canvas and make the same strokes every day. And he would come in and he'd make these same strokes every day, and one day, years pass, and one day, the master comes back to see the canvas, and he walks in, He walks to the center of the room and he tears the curtain and he sits down in that special chair that was made that the man could only see once a year and he sits down in that special chair and he raises his hands and he goes, all of this is about me and guess what? There's more. And the man who can't possibly fathom that there could be more. The man who can't possibly fathom that there would be more to see suddenly steps back and looks at the painting and realizes he's been painting a picture of the Master all this time. So we come to Hebrews, and the author of Hebrews says, they had been painting a picture of Jesus the whole time. And now he says, let's look at that picture. And let's look at what, what it shows. But we don't just have to look at the Elements We get to look at the king of kings, the king of glory, to see who he is. And we don't have to speculate about what the symbols mean, because he has told us what they mean. Indeed, in the Gospels, he outlines everything. I'm the light of the world. You can almost imagine him pointing at the lamp, going, that's about me. He goes, I'm the bread of life. And you can imagine him pointing to the table of showbread in the tabernacle going, That's about me. He says, I'm interceding on your behalf before the Father. And you can imagine him pointing at the altar of incense going, That's about me. I am the prophet, priest, and king who is torn in half. That the covenant would be made sure and you would be given life and be able to enter into the Holy of Holies. That's about me. And then he sits down on the mercy seat and says, By the way, there is more for you to see. So that's the excitement with which the author of Hebrews enters in here. And he says, But in verse 11, but when Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater And more perfect tent. Jesus appears as high priest, as we talked about in the previous chapters, as a high priest, not by order of Levi, but by order of Melchizedek. He is of the tribe of Judah, and in the law, there is nothing governing the tribe of Judah as a high priest. So he's not beholden to a law. Indeed, he is above the law. He wrote the law. It's his law. He is king and high priest. He is the high priest of the good things that have come. I love that phrase. It's it's a difficult one to parse in Greek. could say the good things that have come. Some of your Bibles probably have a note that says this could be translated, the good things that shall come. This is a very intriguing phrase. He's the high priest of the good things that have come what what i think the author of hebrews wants to drive home to you is there was a, a great deal of futility in the old testament the high priest had to come in every day and do the same thing. He had to sacrifice and he had to walk in. He had all these purification rituals and he had to walk in. He had to eat his lunch at the table of showbread very ceremonially. The lights had to be kept on. The lamp had to be kept on. The only light in the room had to be kept on. The incense altar had to be burning before they could come in. It had to fragrant the room before they could come in. the The curtain had to be sure and tight and held in place. And they had to make sure that everything was perfect and it was over and over and over and over. And in the last chapter, remember what we read, no more. Is it over and over and over? Now we can see those things for what they are. They are pictures of Christ in heaven for us now. He is right now giving light to your life. He is right now giving light to your life. He is right now, providing sustenance for you. He is right now interceding for you on behalf of you before the Father. Oh, Christian, don't you see that you have an advocate before the Father who stands on your behalf, pleading and interceding for you, not based on your merit or effort, but because He has made you His. And you no longer have to go through this endless cycle of trying to be right on your own. You no longer have to white-knuckle your faith and grab hold and go, I'm going to do this on my own. No longer. He has done it for you. You need only trust Him. So He comes of the good things. The high priest of the good things. We could get stuck on this all day. What does this mean that it comes with the good things? Just feel free to run with them. It's not a legalistic recycling of things over and over. It's not a discipline and, and painful, stressful burden that's been laid on you. It is the good things. It's intentionally ambiguous by the author of Hebrews to call it good things. It's good stuff, not bad stuff, not taxing stuff, not exhausting stuff, good stuff, good stuff. Jesus comes, high priest of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Sometimes I wish Greek authors would write shorter sentences. But look at this. Let's look at this together. He enters into the world through a more perfect tent. They use the term, we talked about this last week too, they use the term tabernacle, tent here, on purpose. It's to draw your mind to the fact that this is not your home. This is not where you belong. You belong in heavenly places. There's a kingdom of heaven that you belong to. And you are a sojourner here, a pilgrim who has been given the tools to make this world more beautiful as a shadow of heaven and as a preparation for heaven. So this is powerful. This idea that we are given this, this tent a more perfect tent. We don't have to go through the imperfect one that requires sacrifice over and over. And not only did he enter through this more perfect tent, not only did Jesus enter through this more perfect tent, as it says in John uh, chapter 1 verse 14, he tabernacled among us. Not only did he do that, he entered into this more perfect tent. He also did so securing redemption by his own blood. And this is critical. A high priest, would come into the tent, and he would sprinkle blood everywhere. Almost, I mean, imagine giving a child a painting, a paintbrush, covering it in red paint, and not just a small paintbrush. You know, one of those like four-inch ones? You're painting the house, you know, and you want a big swath, right? Just imagine giving him that in a bucket that he can carry with red paint in it, and just telling him, hey, buddy, go nuts. That's what the high priest had to do. Walk in. It wasn't this very gentle two drops, two drops. It was cover everything. Cover it. And here's why. Because sin is like a cancer. And it spreads. And the symbol of the blood was to wash and clean that sin. So if you are told, if you are told, listen, you're going to die you've got this thing on you and it's going to keep spreading and it's right here and it's going, to, it's going to spread a little bit, you're going to die. But here's the thing. I've got this bucket of liquid detergent. And if you put that all over the thing, cover the whole thing, if you cover everywhere the thing is, everywhere this rot is, if you cover it, then it will go away and the thing that you covered it with will be clean. So, if you're given that instruction, how much of the thing are you going to cover? Everything. I'm going to cover where it's not. I'm going to cover everything. I'm just going to, it's going to take a bath. I'm going to, I'm going to pour it all over everything. That's the image here. The high priest would come in with this hyssop branch covered in blood and sprinkle it on everything. This was a bloody ordeal. And everything gets covered. Indeed, when they built the lamp, they sanctified it by covering it and then washing it. They built the table, they sanctified it by covering it and washing it. For goodness sakes, when Moses comes down from the mountain, he sprinkles all the people and the law. He sprinkles the stone tablets that the law is on. He covers everything. And why? Because he is told that without the covering of the blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. And if I need blood to cover me, I'm using it all to save me from sin. I'm using it all. But Christ, on the other hand, unlike the high priest, doesn't have to come in and spatter it everywhere. He comes in and he gives himself. He doesn't need a paintbrush. He doesn't need a cow or a goat or two turtle doves or a pigeon. He doesn't need any of that. He comes in and he, he opens himself and says, I am the blood that brings life. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of His own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus Christ died for you that He would secure eternal redemption for you now. That this would be eternal redemption for you now. And that the joy and laughter you hear from other rooms, from heavenly places, would be joy and laughter you can join in now, though you don't see it. Though you can't see it with your eyes, it is there And you can join in the cacophony of angels' praises. You realize that every time we sing together on Sunday, when you sing together as a congregation, we are told in Scripture that angels join with your praise. That angels sing along. That we are joining myriads upon myriads, which is just a way of saying too many to count, in heaven who are praising the Lord. We are joining in that praise. So we enter in through this perfect blood of Jesus Christ who died for our behalf, verse 13, for the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ through who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, the problem that we had prior to Christ was that we had this wicked conscience. Our conscience bore testimony that we were sinful. Our conscience bore testimony that we were sinful. You ask anybody on the earth if they're a good person. Most of them will go, yeah. And then you go, you outline what it means to be good. Real easy way to do it, walk through the Ten Commandments. Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever looked at a woman with lust in your heart? Have you ever uh, worshipped anything other than God? Like, they're going to say yes to all of them, probably, hopefully, unless they're just deep out liars, in which case they're breaking at least one of them. And so you you can look at them and go straight through all Ten Commandments and then at the end go, do you still feel like a good person? And if they're smart, they'll go, no, I don't. And then you can look at them and say, you know you're wicked then. And if they're smart, they'll say yes. Then you can say, there's a God in heaven who has made a way for you to be purified. For that conscience that convicts you, that external law that makes you feel so Wicked and sinful because you are that testifies to the truth of who you are apart from Christ. That wickedness, that conscience can be purified and cleaned and changed in Christ Jesus who changes you to be conformed to his image, to become more like him. What a joy, that is, what a delight. That is, that a perfect mediator has come to rescue. And he came through, so he he brings his own blood through the eternal spirit. This is important that it's eternal spirit. Because if it were a temporal spirit, if it had an end, then it would not cover you eternally. But this is an eternal spirit. Remember what we talked about with the city of refuge in Numbers 35, how the person could run to the city of refuge, and as long as the high priest was alive, he was safe. That man was safe no matter what he had done. But here, the eternal spirit, Jesus, is never going to die. And if you have trusted in Jesus Christ, you have run to the city of refuge and are safe. All your sins are covered past, present, and future. And as dad pointed out a couple weeks ago, if you struggle with the idea that your future sins are covered, remember that when Jesus died on the cross, all of your sins were future. And he covered them all. So, here we have run to the city of refuge. Our high priest will never die. He offered himself without blemish to God. And he purifies our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now, there's a, a translation thing going on here with the living God. That the is not there in the text. And I think you shouldn't, we probably shouldn't translate it that way. We probably should translate it a living God. The reason being because the emphasis of the author of Hebrews, now, just before you get mad at me, he, he is the living God. But that's a title. He is the living God. The author of Hebrews is not emphasizing God's title here. He's emphasizing what Jesus does. And against and over against the dead works of the sacrificial system, you now serve a living God. Not a dead God. Not a ritual Not a ritualistic God. Not a legal argument God. He is a living God. He's alive. And he's emphasizing that because your high priest will never die. He's alive. He's a living God. He is great and mighty. And he is alive in contrast to the God who is, in contrast to the God of religion that is dead. He is alive. He's a living God. Verse fifteen. Therefore, he is the mediator. So he's talked about Jesus being the perfect tent, being the perfect high priest. Now he's going to talk about Jesus being the perfect mediator. He's the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. Since death, since a death occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. So there's his, his thesis statement. It is very long. I think the Puritans must have read Hebrews first and decided that that's what they were going to model their writing on. Every sentence is a paragraph in Greek. And so here he, he outlines here, he's the new mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. So let's just take that first. Jesus Christ is the mediator of the new covenant. He's the one who gives you access to this new covenant. The old covenant was a constant cycle of repetition in hopes that the new covenant would come. That's what the old covenant was for. The law existed to what? To be a schoolmaster to lead you to Christ. The law existed to point you to Christ. The Old Testament existed to point us to Christ. Moses was to be pointing to Christ. Abraham was to be pointing to Christ. David pointing to Christ. We don't have time to go into every Old Testament saint and tell you how they pointed to Christ, except that Moses was the perfect prophet who uh, brought the people out of slavery and into freedom through the wilderness, and he had God tabernacle, and he offered the intercessory prayer that saved the people of Israel. David uh, was the king of Israel who stood on the throne, mighty and powerful, and led the people of Israel to victory. A man after God's own heart did it humbly and with faith in God's Work. You've got the prophet Isaiah, whose name, by the way, means the Lord saves, and he stands before a wicked and sinful people and proclaims, Return to me, return to me, I'm coming back. Jesus Christ is coming soon, and he's gonna rescue you. You've got the crazy Ezekiel, who has all these crazy things, who one of my favorite lines in the book is: the rims were spinning and awesome. What? There's a circle that points four directions. Circles don't point. Ezekiel's crazy. He's got all of these images, and he keeps pointing to the idea that God is going to come back and replace your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh, and he's going to sprinkle clean water on you. And then what does Jesus do in John chapter 3 when he's talking to Nicodemus? I tell you, you must be born of water and spirit. Direct reference to Ezekiel saying, you have to be reborn of water and spirit. I'll sprinkle you with clean water and I will put my spirit within you. Direct reference. All these Old Testament things were pointing to Jesus. He's the mediator of a new covenant so that you don't have to keep white-knuckling life and trying to be good enough on your own because Christ has made you good. Now you have only to follow and rejoice. What a joy. So we are forgiven sins and transgressions committed under the first covenant. Verse 16. For where... So this is his explanation, and the explanation lasts a long time. We're just going to kind of walk through it. For where a will is involved, or a contract upon death is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. So in order... To get the benefits of a will, there must be a death, right? It's pretty straightforward. The author of Hebrews often muddies things up on purpose. This time he's being very straightforward. In order to get the benefits of a will, the inheritance of a will, you have to have a death. So he says, uh, for where the will is involved, the death of one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force, as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. So there had to be a death for the first covenant to work. And what was the death? Goats and birds and bulls, over and over and over. Inadequate death. It was inadequate to enforce the inheritance. It was inadequate, but it was still there. It was still present. So there was still death. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop, and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people. This is the weirdest ceremony in the Bible, by the way. If you want to read it, it's in Exodus. Uh, I think it's in Exodus 32. He comes down from mountain, 34. He comes down from the mountain and he literally sprinkles blood all over everybody. Weird. Can you imagine, just for a minute, if you, I said, all right, everybody gather up front. Everybody gather up front, get close together. And I came back here, and I walked back here, and brought out this bucket of blood. And set it down, and I repeated the commands of the Lord. I will be your God, you will be my people, say yes, yes. And then I started sprinkling it on you. Big paintbrush. (laughs) And, I wanted, and you wanted to make sure everything's clean, so you're spinning around, making sure you're covered. This is weird. This is a weird ceremony. Whenever God does something weird, you need to look for what it's really pointing to. Whenever God does something weird, you need to look for what it's really pointing to. Jesus Christ dies on the cross, and all who gather at that cross all who confess that cross are covered in His blood and are redeemed and rescued by Him. And they are sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And death passes over them. And they are brought to new life indeed with His resurrection. Verse 20, He said, this is what Moses said, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you, sounds an awful lot like what we do every week when we remember communion. This is the new covenant and my blood poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ died on the cross that we would have life. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these rites. But heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of true things, but into heaven itself. Now, to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. It was necessary for these copies to be purified this way. But now, reality has come. Christ has come. Can you wrap your mind around that for just a minute? That that Jesus Christ has come, that the sins that you indulged in, the wickedness that you were caught in, All those things that once held you slave are now gone. Because Christ has come. Verse 25. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest. This doesn't require a cycle. As the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood, not his own, for then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for a man to die once, after that comes the judgment. Now, if we stop there, we should be terrified in that verse. Just as it is for men to die once, after that is judgment. Oh no. Close the book. Go home. This is not happy ending. The author of Hebrews doesn't stop there. (coughs) Because for us, it doesn't stop at judgment. God's not in heaven now looking at you with a clipboard. That is not for you. The law that says check marks and balances on your life is no longer your law. The Bible says that you have left the law of sin and death and have been granted the law of the Spirit and life. Grace. You've been given this grace. You are no longer bound to that old law. And verse 28 is the balm for our soul. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin because that's done. He did that already. He did that, but He's coming a second time. And why is He coming a second time? To save those who are eagerly waiting for Him. Why do we stay persistent in worship and praise of this God? Because He's coming back. Because there's more. Because there's more to know of Him. There's more to see. This isn't the end. This is simply the beginning for us. This is training ground. Where we are right now is training ground for the joy and the life that we will have in heaven. Oh, store up treasures in heaven. Now, labor, labor. Take the things of the world and use them for eternal purposes. Jesus repeats this over and over. Do make eternal friends in heaven with unrighteous mammon now. He says it over and over and over that this is just preparation. This is just preparation. Oh, that we would bear in mind eternity at every moment. And that every single pain and difficulty we have here would remind us of where we are going to end, of where we are going to be born, as the Bible says in Revelation, where we are going to experience life forever, and not just stagnant life, but life forever. Christ has come and he sits on the throne and he proclaims there is more. Last point. Did you notice that they call Jesus Christ over and over in this chapter? Just think back through what you read. Did you see the name Jesus? The author of Hebrews wants you to get this. That Christ has been the sacrifice once for all. That it is done. It is done. The first covenant has been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And now we live in the new covenant of His blood covering us. And indeed... He's coming back to get us. There's a great old statement by Fanny Crosby, the blind hymnal writer, um, who was, somebody made a comment once that, well, it's a great thing she wasn't born blind. And she said, oh, I wish I was. Because then the first thing I would ever see is Jesus. That's an eternal perspective. That is an eternal perspective. And that's, that's what we need to remember. Christ has come. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Let's pray. Then we'll enter into a time of communion together. Father, we love you and trust you in all things. We delight in your presence. And in your work in our hearts, Lord, as we sing in our amazement of who you are, as we delight in your your name, pray that you would delight in us here. We love you.
1: Nazarene and wonder how he could love me or oh, sin
0: day when He will return, and we will, as the Word says, rise and see Him and join the chorus of heaven.
2: this morning, I just thank you. I thank you for your sacrifice. I thank you for what I don't entirely understand. I thank you for everything you've done when I don't deserve it. This morning, I just ask that you would keep keep that in front of me and keep it on my mind everywhere I go. Lord, I just ask that you would help us to focus on this and on your return everywhere we go from now for the rest of our lives, Lord. Praise your name, Amen. Um, this morning we're going to do something just a little different. I'm going to come around with uh, both elements, and then uh, we'll hold on to them <clears throat> until after that. And as always, if you're the head of your house um, and you would like the chance to serve your family, uh, please stand.
1: To glory fills the sky Christ the everlasting light Son of righteousness arise And triumph for these chains of mine. Come Thou Lord by shame and I will
2: Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread when he had given thanks he broke it and said this is my body which is for you do this in remembrance of me in the same way also he took the cup after supper saying this cup is the new covenant in my blood do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you, pro- you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes.
0: Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise, Praise Him, all creatures, creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. If you'd rise in honor of God's Word. We're going to read Galatians 5, verses 1 through 13. For freedom... by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working together, through working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying truth? Father, thank you for today, for the joy it is to be together in worship. Lord, we love you. You are so gracious, so kind, so wonderful, and so tender to us. Lord, thank you. Thank you. Amen. The a quick announcement to draw your attention to on November 22nd, we'll be having a worship night at the house. These are lots of fun. It's going to be a lot of uh, fun. I've got some creative ideas, so show up and be afraid. Um, so we're going to have a good time. And let's enjoy a meal together. Yay!